What deep secret did Marine Corps Major Don Dennegan have to keep from the men under his command? <laughs> Got me. All right. What vegetable, Bob, can you strap to your knees to reduce inflammation and arthritis pain? What? <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with some fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Well, Marsha, what did Marine Corps Major Don Dunnigan, who served during the Vietnam era, what uh, big secret did he have to keep from the hundreds of men under his command? Well, they were losing the war? No, no. well, that would have been a secret, yes. <laughs> Um, I don't know. He had some terminal disease? No, he had something he did earlier in his life that he knew would bring ridicule upon him. Oh, I don't know. What did the poor man do? Well, as a six-year-old child actor, he was the voice of Walt Disney's Bambi. Oh, how <laughs> That's right. He became a Marine Corps drill instructor. A drill instructor. That's the, funny. Yeah, the cute little voice of Donnie Dunnigan grew into the rough, tough, gruff voice of Marine Corps drill instructor Don Dunnigan. That's a great story. It is. He became a highly decorated veteran of the Vietnam War. He served 25 years before he retired as a major, won a Bronze Star and three Purple Hearts. The Marine Corps was a perfect fit as long as he could keep his secret. Mommy, mom, <laughs> mom. That scene where he's crying, mother, mother. When, when Bambi's mother was killed by the hunters off screen, he didn't know it. He says, that's the only thing that bothered me. Nobody told me when I recorded the line, Mother, Mother, what it was all about. Oh, really? Yeah. How old was he? Six? Yeah, six years old. Well, he was old enough to handle the truth. <laughs> yes. You can't <laughs> handle the truth, kid. <laughs> I don't think Walt Disney was that kind of a guy. No, I don't think. But Don Dunnigan had an interesting past. He, he was in poverty as a kid, and then he uh, became a child actor. He worked with Boris Karloff and Basil Rathbone. <laughs> yeah. And then he uh, was chosen to do Disney. And then after he did that thing, his family broke up. He ended up in boarding houses. Oh, dear. Yeah. And then he joined the Marine Corps at 18. So... Was his secret ever revealed? He was found out. He told this story that only a few months before he retired, when he was a major, his commanding officer, a general he'd served with in Vietnam, called him into his office and assigned him to a chore he didn't want to do. Dunnigan, I want you to audit the auditors. Oh, God. Swamped with other duties, he respectfully asked him, General, when do you think I'm going to have time to do that? He looked at me, pulled his glasses down like some kind of college professor. There's a big red top secret folder he got out of some safe. Oh. <laughs> it had my name on it. He pats the folder, looks at me in the eye and says, you will audit the auditors, won't you, Major Bambi? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> wow. Dirty pool, man. <laughs> Disney thought he was dead until he started being interviewed in retirement. And there was a, an article online, How Bambi Fought the Viet Cong. Uh -huh. So Disney called him up and said, are you the guy that did that? Yeah. Would you be in one of our DVDs? We're doing a new DVD oh, a release. Oh, retrospective yes. kind of thing? Then he even toured England for the, the Bambi DVD. Well, I hope he got paid for everything. Oh, I, he got paid for that, I'm sure. But he kept a secret that he was the voice of Bambi all the years he was in the service. 
Adorable. Okay, <laughs> let's move on to vegetables. What vegetable can you strap to your knees to reduce inflammation or arthritis pain? So this has got to be something that absorbs things from your skin or something? No, it actually kind of releases things into your oh, skin. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay, are they pickles? Putting pickles on your <laughs> knees? Or? I'm thinking of funny things. Are they coconuts on your knees? Yeah, that, that would be cute. Is this between your knees? Is that what you said? Well, this... It's cabbage leaves, Bob. Cabbage leaves. <laughs> it goes back hundreds of years. Really? It was a poor man's joint pain relief. It still works, and people still use it effectively. Cabbage leaves are high in vitamins and various nutrients that soak into the skin. Wow. To get rid of inflammation, huh? Yeah. And wow. Cabbage guess, leaves. If pain persists, grow a new one in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Apply more cabbage leaves. You know, the only thing wrong with that is it doesn't fit into a bottle. You can just, you know, shake it out one no, at a time. No, it's a big, a big... A big-ass cabbage leaf. Big, yeah, that's right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I've got a food question for you, Marcia. Mm -hmm. Me too. What are those tiny holes in crackers for? Well, funny you should ask. Oh, yeah? I didn't know there were tiny holes in crackers. Well, think of a salt cracker. You've got well, those little one, holes. Well, but what else? Well, there are other crackers that not have... Not my rice crackers. Maybe not your rice crackers, but anything made with dough has those in it. Because the heat puckers the dough and uh, makes a little hole? No, they're known as docking holes, and they're used to connect the top and bottom layers of the dough during food preparation. The holes prevent large air pockets from forming during baking, so the more holes a cracker has, the denser it will be. So those are docking holes well, you in mean, your saltines. Where do they come from? Do a machine has the little pokey things? The bakers make them. They put them in? They intentionally with, put them in. With little needles or something? I don't know what they use, Marsh. I think be. I've given you everything you need to know. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go move on here. Okay, Bob, 1987. You were there. What's the first VHS movie that people could buy or rent that actually had a commercial up front on it? Well, a commercial in front of the show. Yeah. And I, that was usually a preview of coming attractions. Huh? Yeah, but this first one had a commercial. Double your points if you can name the product. 1987. So it was a product? Yeah. It was oh, it had I a commercial. Not for another movie, but for a product. Wow. Gee, VHS tapes. God, yeah. we had a bunch of those, didn't we? Yeah. Lady and the Tramp got stolen from us one year when our and, house was broken and into. we had a Pop-Tart our son put inside the VHS That's right. slot. That was a new machine we had to buy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they weren't cheap <laughs> back in the day. It's not a toaster, son. It's oh. a VHS tape. <laughs> he looked so cute, though, when he told us that it was hard to punish him. <laughs> okay. All right. What film was it? Was it a Disney film? I'll give you a hint here. Uh, its sequel just came out recently and was equally huge hit. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Its sequel just came out. Uh-huh. After all these years. Top Gun. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So that was the first VHS tape that had a commercial yeah. in front of the film. And yeah. what was the commercial for? Diet Pepsi. Back in the day there, it was $100 to buy a movie on VHS. To bring down the ridiculous cost of that, somebody figured out, let's put a Pepsi commercial on the front, and they had a Tom Cruise look-alike trying to drink a bottle of Diet Pepsi in the cockpit during maneuvers. It, they even ran it on TV, so it was a nice cross-promotion okay, thing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, the ad helped to reduce the cost of buying the film and even renting it after a while. I forgot. Yeah, we bought those tapes, too, as well as rented them. We bought some Disney films for the kids. Oh, yeah. We yeah. bought Dumbo and yeah. some of the others. Yeah. Yeah. All right. History, Marsha. History. 
What was the greatest advantage the Mongol Empire held over their enemies? They were bigger. They were taller. They were scarier. They, they were scarier. They had uh, weapons that nobody else had. Yes. According to National Geographic, they did have arrow storms, they called them. So that was like thousands of arrows going against, uh, you know, another army. And they did the hit and run barrages and sieges. They were taller in a way, but it wasn't because they were taller. Why would they be taller? Well, I don't what was their big secret weapon? Wheaties? I don't know. What was their big secret? Horses. That's right. They had many advantages, but the biggest the military superpower of the Middle Ages may have had is they controlled more than half the horses on the planet. Wow. My mind's eye went to what did a Mongol look like? And he was always on a horse. That's so right. That's why I deduced that. They okay. ruled for 160 years from wow. 1206 to 1368. Horses were their biggest military advantage. And not just horses. Researchers believe that the Mongol hordes may have had climate change, mild weather, and above average moisture that produced abundant grasses for their horses and better conditions oh, for livestock really? breeding. Isn't that weird? Yeah. What things precipitate other things? They did have the stirrup, which was a new technology to keep them in their saddles. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that was it. They had control of more than half the horses on the planet. These magnificent horses they were using in battle. Yeah. Okay. You'll like this one, Bob. Electrical engineer Judith Love Cohen helped to bring the Apollo 13 astronauts home safely after an oxygen tank exploded on board back in 1970. You remember that? Yes. It was very touch and go for a moment in the world. That was the Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, and the mission to the moon was abandoned. Right. Uh, what makes this story particularly interesting was that Cohen was in the hospital at the time about to give birth to a baby. Oh, I didn't know that. And she phoned in her math calculations, which helped to save the day. Oh, my God. In a very big way, it helped to save yes. the day. Yes. But here's the question. Who did she give birth to that day? Who did she give birth to <laughs> yeah. that day? What's her name again? Judith Love Cohen, which has nothing to do with the name we know. Oh, okay. Today. So she gave birth to somebody who uses a different name today? Who's well-known, yeah. Oh, so an entertainer? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Who did she give birth to on that day so that she gave the math equations to NASA, which <laughs> saved the astronauts' lives? Uh -huh. 1970. Who? Jack Black. <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> that little munchkin. That, uh, we wow. All, uh, yeah. What was that movie he did, The Rock? Oh, uh, The School of Rock. School that of was Rock. so good. Yeah, he did. A, uh, and he was in a lot of other oh, movies. Oh, yeah, High Fidelity was awesome in that. Yeah. A lot of them. But anyway, that's who her son was. No kidding. Yeah. And she died not too long ago at 83 or something, and he posted a picture of her and told that story. What a great story. What a great legacy. Yeah. For your mom. Your mom yeah. saved the astronauts. <laughs> no kidding. Who could say the that? The day you were born. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. That's just wonderful. What a wonderful story I that knew, is. I knew you'd like Jack Black's mom. <laughs> Who would have thought? Okay, I've got two questions on birds. Uh -huh. These birds are native to South America, yet today they can be found in the wilds of New York City. Which birds are they? I'll give you names here. Okay. Emus, uh -huh. monk parrots, gray-crowned cranes, or kookaburras? Oh, 
Gosh, I can't picture any of them living in New York City, passing over New York City. I'll just say emus. No, it's the monk parrots. (laughs) (laughs) Really? There are parrots in New York City? Yeah, they're native to South America. They were introduced into the United States as pets in the 60s. And today, they're an estimated 550 thriving in the wild in New York City. No kidding. Well, they hang around Central Park? I don't know. Maybe it's the buildings they like, you know, instead of a a jungle. And I got one more here, okay? It is a jungle, Bob. Which bird has stomach acid more potent than the acid found in your car batteries? Which bird? Do I get a choice I can give you a choice. Thank you. Okay, these are the bird choices for you. The (laughs) chicken, the bald eagle, the great blue heron, or turkey vultures. Turkey vultures. That's right. The stomach acid of a turkey vulture is more potent than your car's battery acid. Oh, I I said that because... They eat a lot of disgusting things off the road. That's don't exactly they? right. So, yeah. yeah, it's useful for digesting rotting carcasses. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, in fact, a turkey vulture stomach acid lets it digest organisms that cause botulism, anthrax, rabies, cholera, hepatitis, wow. and polio without being affected because of its its battery acid-like stomach. Low. Wow. That's something to ponder. How did it evolve to get that? That's the interesting yeah. question, isn't it? Yeah. What led to that? <laughs> going to say, what's the evolutionary journey of I that I guess animal? we should uh, come up with something else for this <laughs> creature. Let's get him put a little battery acid in there. Holy cow. But you know what? He he didn't do well on the Atkins diet. So, you know, everything has its limitations. Okay, Bob. Why is someone in a hopeless situation said to be over a barrel? Does it have anything to do with Niagara Falls and all those people that he, went over yeah, the falls and barrels? that's a good assumption, but no. Mm-mm. Okay, that's not it. Uh-uh. Over a barrel, under a barrel, under a barrel, over a barrel. Okay, is it something to do with being on a ship? No, no. As many things do, it goes back to the good old crappy days when they used to flog people. They'd actually strip and strap them over a barrel to make it easier to flog. Oh, dear. (laughs) And it was often used to punish difficult school children, too. Oh, my, really? Yeah. The expression became popular in the 1939 Raymond Chandler novel, The Big Sleep. And he was the first one to use it, and he used it euphemistically, so... That's uh, from the 19th century when they used to strap people over a barrel to make it easier to whip them. Wow. Okay, Marcia, speaking of people, I have a question for you. We all know China is a big country. Lots of people over there, right? Lots of people. Okay, my question to you is, when did China's population reach one billion? I'll give you times, okay? Okay, you're so much nicer than me. You give me choices. I do give you choices, and I am nicer than you. (laughs) That's a fact. 1982, 1709, 1896, or 2004. What year did China end up with a billion people? Can I have the dates again? 1982, 1709, 1896, or 2004? 82. That's right. That's exactly right. Seems like they've had a billion-plus population for centuries, but it was in 1982 they exceeded that mark, and that meant that the Chinese accounted for 25% of the Earth's total population. Okay. The only other country to exceed a billion in population and size is what country? Uh, India. India, right. They reached that milestone in 1998. Okay. All right. Well, that's a buttload of people. I don't think we would call it that. Well, that's because my question is, how much is a buttload? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we can quantify, Well, Bob. I think we're saying a billion, Marsh. I think you just told me that's what it is. That's a buttload of no, people. I bet you didn't know a butt is a unit of measurement. No. What's it? How it, do they call something a butt? 
It's not an and, Mm. it's a but. It's mostly obsolete, but it's still used in the world of wine, Bob. Oh. So, quantify, please. How much is a buttload? (laughs) Good Lord. All the things I'm asked on this show. But this is this is not How much making is up to be load? funny. This is okay, actual is it, thing. Is it 10 gallons? No, it's much bigger. It's bigger than 10 gallons. It's 50 gallons. It's more than double that. Well, okay, tell it's, me. Uh, if we're talking imperial measurements, that means it's out of the UK. Uh-huh. A butt is a cask of liquid, like in wine or brewing contexts. In the wine world, a butt is around 108 imperial gallons, just under 500 liters. Wow, okay. In U.S. terms, 126 gallons. So it turns out that a buttload is a buttload, I guess. That is a buttload of, uh, <laughs> of wine. 126 gallons 126 gallons. So that's what a buttload is. Uh, yeah, I, From e- now on, I'll know that. Even I can't handle that. How can I unremember what a buttload <laughs> is? All right. I think it's time for a break, Marsh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love that? All right. We'll be back when the off-ramp continues. I'm Bob Smith. Marsha Smith. We'll be right back in just a moment. <laughs> We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station. Two questions about Frank Lloyd Wright, Marcia. Okay. His son designed something everybody knows about oh, I know these this. days. Okay, what is it? Lincoln Logs. That's one thing he designed. What's the other thing that was designed by a son of Frank Lloyd Wright? That's the only thing I know. Oh, come on. <laughs> Um, A building. Yes. A famous building. A famous performance center. In uh, New York? In California. In California. Uh, Was it, uh, oh, could it be the the big uh, outdoor? What's it called? Yes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows it. (laughs) Our son has gone there. and We went there. He took us there. Yeah, it's that big amphitheater. The Hollywood Bowl. That's it, the bowl. Okay, we went to get it out before the show ended, so there we go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, his son, Lloyd Wright, designed an acoustic shell for the Natural Canyon Amphitheater, uh, where the Hollywood Bowl is. It was done for a 1916 Shakespeare production okay. of Julius Caesar. We always think of this as being where, you know, bands perform and everything. Uh-huh. But it was uh, that was done for that 1916 performance, and the amphitheater was preserved and improved upon and reworked into what is now the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. Okay, what Academy Award-winning actress was Frank Lloyd Wright's granddaughter. Was her name Wright? No. Her mother was Catherine Dorothy Wright. Uh Uh-huh. Her father was a salesman named Kenneth Stewart Baxter. So it was Meredith Baxter. It was Ann Baxter. Ann Baxter. She won an Oscar for the Best Supporting Actress in 1946. She was one of Frank Lloyd Wright's grandchildren. So I was wrong about Wright. Yes, that's right. (laughs) That's correct. All right, Bob. Why is the last minute before a deadline called the 11th hour? I didn't know we called the deadline the 11th hour. Well, yeah, you're, I'm working on this till the 11th hour. You, haven't you ever used that expression? I guess so, yeah. You're an hour away from midnight, so that's when the day changes. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I think it's because you're going into the next day. Well, that's pretty much it. But the reference goes back to the days of the sundial. Okay. Remember that when you were little? You had a sundial strapped on your wrist? <laughs> there was such a thing. I found that during the 17th century and 18th centuries, they had little mini sundials that wealthy would wear on their, like a ring. Really? Yeah. I said that to be amusing. No, but, I saw uh, one in a uh, history book the other day, and I went, oh my God, what a great question. Well, too late, and uh, it's my question, so let's get back to me, okay? okay. All right. <laughs> it's all about so, you, Marsh. <laughs> yes, right now it is. So the sundial, Bob, 
The period from dawn to sundown, when a sundial was usable, was divided into 12 hours. So the 11th hour came just before sunset, and that meant you ran out of daylight, and that meant you couldn't do any more work. Oh, so the 11th hour meant a different time of day than it does now. It means you can't get any more work done because there won't be light. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, so working on deadline or the 11th hour means that's it, you're out of light. Okay. All right, Marcia, a couple more uh, movie questions. Okay, do All the main characters in the famous film, The Wizard of Oz, had prototypes in both the Kansas and the Oz scenes. Remember, Dorothy was in both. The Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion were the farm workers in Kansas. Who is the only major Oz character that didn't have a prototype? Auntie M. No. This is the only major Oz character that didn't have a prototype in Kansas. Okay. Uh, oh, the Good Witch. Glenda. That's right. Glinda, the Good Witch of the North. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Ding. I got it. All right. All right. Here's a quickie, Bob. Okay. During the 19th century, perfumes were often derived from the fragrance of a single flower. Okay. By contrast, today, every ounce of Chanel Number no. 5 has the concentrated oil of around 12 roses and how many jasmine flowers? I don't know. Well, just take a guess. Okay, five. A thousand. Oh, my goodness. For just one ounce? That's what it says. A thousand jasmine flowers in one ounce of Chanel Number no. 5. Imagine the concentrated oil of all those flowers would be overwhelming. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Okay, I got a, another movie question. What Oscar sat in a storefront window for 20 years after it was won? Whose Oscar was it? I don't know. It was the Oscar that was won by? I don't know. A boy from... Indiana, Pennsylvania. Yeah. His father ran a hardware store. Oh, wait. Whose father ran a hardware store? That's a famous story, isn't oh, I'll it? I'll tell you who it was. <laughs> was it, it was Jimmy, was Jimmy, it Jimmy Stewart? Jim, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, <laughs> and when he won his Oscar for Philadelphia Story in 1940, <laughs> he gave it to his dad, oh, who displayed nice. it in the front window of the hardware store for 26 years. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? Where are we going to put Ben's Oscar? I don't know. In the, in, the, in the office window here. Okay. There we go. All right. Why is it, Bob, when we get older, it's harder to drive at night or read without lots of light? Well, it's because you get cataracts and you can't yeah, see as well. It's, it's not just that. Our pupils actually get smaller as we age. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know either. It's one of the things that shrink. The human pupil is controlled by certain muscles, and as we add on the years, those muscles weaken. And so as they get smaller, they're less responsive to light. So people in their 60s need three times as much light to read comfortably as people in their 20s. You know, I always sort of felt that as I got older, that I needed more light to yeah, read. Yeah, and I never really put it together. And I didn't we, I didn't have cataracts, but I remember my mother absolutely going nuts in a dark restaurant because she couldn't read the menu. And uh, instead of feeling pity, I was embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah, well, she made such a deal out of it. Oh. I'm sorry, Mom. Sad. You were mean to your mother sometimes. I wasn't mean. I wasn't mean then. All right. What birds have a beard, a waddle, and a snood? A beard? A uh, oh, it must be uh, uh, turkeys. That's right, turkeys. Those are the, uh, the parts of their body. The fold of the flesh that grows from a turkey's throat is called a wattle. Uh-huh. The long, fleshy ornament that grows from its forehead and hangs over its bill is called a snood. Uh-huh. And the long tuft of hair that projects from its breast is called a beard. Ah. Uh. Okay, so those are all the parts of a turkey. What common beverage glows in the dark? What? Yeah, there is one. 
It's a Mountain Dew, isn't it? No, but that looks like it glows without the light. Yeah. it's uh, This is the time of the year for tonic, good old gin and tonic. No uh, kidding. Tonic water is best known for adding a little bite to cocktails, although it has a hidden talent. While modern tonic water often includes citrus flavors or sweeteners to ease their bitter taste, the mix is traditionally crafted from just two ingredients, carbonated water and quinine. And that's where the illumination is Ah. in the quinine. Its ability to glow, technically it's called fluorescence. And it only occurs when the substance is exposed to the right condition. Now, how often do we look at your tonic water with ultraviolet I'm going to say, where's that going to be? In a <laughs> den? An yeah, opium den yeah. somewhere? Anyway, it, yeah. The excited molecules then quickly release the energy, which appears as a blue hue to the human eye in a darkened room. Hmm, okay. So let's play with that later, shall we? <laughs> well, have some fun with the tonic water fun. Get the tonic out, honey. <laughs> oh, my. Gives a whole new meaning to tonic, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Marcia, remember last week on our show, we talked about the backgrounds of the Hollywood pioneers, the people who started the movies, and we were surprised mm-hmm. that yeah. you know they were the Jews excluded from so many things in Los Angeles originally, yeah. but yeah. they built the town, really. Yes, you know? they did. So I thought I would give you the background of some of these people that we just know their maybe their names in history. Uh-huh. So quickly here, Louis B. Mayer was a roving junk dealer. Uh-huh. Jesse Lasky of Paramount, he was a gold miner who had panned for gold. Uh Samuel Goldwyn was a glove cutter. Daniel Zanuck loaded bananas on the New York City docks. The Warner Brothers had a scrap metal business. And um, the authors of the book Hollywood Land and Legend feel that the diverse occupations of those early film tycoons were an asset to their work in the cinema and it uh, helped them survive, gave them an edge over any other producers that came into the medium of film. Yeah, they all became, look, from such humble beginnings, multi-million dollar moguls. In right? a huge new industry yeah. they invented. Yeah. Just yeah. amazing. It is. Okay. How often, Bob, do you grow new taste buds? Oh, I imagine that's never happened. Really? We have the same taste buds when you were born. Yeah. Mm. You never have new ones. Aren't you clever? Is it true? No. Every two weeks, Bob. (laughs) Every two weeks. (laughs) This this is why I like things certain weeks, and certain weeks I don't like the food after that. (laughs) That's right. It doesn't taste as good as the last time we were here. Yeah. Who knew? You get- uh, Every two weeks, new taste buds. Yeah. Scientists believe taste buds have a bigger purpose than just tasting. They protect us from poisoning. I never thought about that. Mm. But they're microscopic sensors in our tongue. Tell our brains that food is safe to eat based on flavor encouraging us to consume sweets Mm. and alerting us to spit out bitter or unpalatable substances that could make us sick. So the average adult has between two and 10,000 taste buds. Wow. And it generally decreases with age, which is why people- People older need more salt on their foods. Yeah, because you lose lose some of your taste buds. More seasoning, please. Please, yes. All right, you got some uh, thoughts for the day? I do. Two uh, quotes here, one from Armin Hammer, which I like. When you work seven days a week, 14 hours a day, you get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, there's no such thing as luck. It's all hard work. That's exactly what that okay. means. Okay. Okay, and let's go out with Joan Crawford, the beloved mother. No hangers. <laughs> no more wire hangers. <laughs> Love is a fire, but whether it's going to warm your hearth or burn down your house, you can never tell. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. And words of wisdom. And I don't know how many times she was married, but oh it, my it was God. more than once. From uh, <laughs> someone with rotating suitors in yeah. her life. <laughs> yes. All right. That's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you would like to contribute, you can go to our website, theofframp.show, and uh, scroll down to contact us and leave us a question to ask one another or just some interesting fact that we didn't know about. Like how much is a buttload? Oh, jeez. Okay, and well, how can I unremember that? All right, on that note, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we come back with a buttload of other <laughs> trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.